0: You're listening to the Tri State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Romans chapter 4 as we read a second time, verse 11. The person anteceding the first word, he, is Abraham. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Father, for these words, these truths. Father, we look to you and we ask, that Father, you'd be pleased to teach us this morning, Lord. Teach us from your holy word. Speak to us. We truly desire to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been slowly working our way through a number of principles that have been set forth in Genesis 17. And as you can tell, probably are picked up that I've really been working my way into kind of segueing into a series that's kind of within a series. Uh, simply just taking you making use of the fact that the sacraments are introduced to us in Genesis 17. And using that as a, um, an opportunity to teach on the sacraments. So I really have, Lord willing, intend to teach for the next few weeks on the sacraments themselves. So I've been doing this, actually, with an intention of laying a foundation. A foundation that's suitable, a foundation that's profitable, a foundation that's worthy, to build a, a proper understanding of the sacraments upon And we get a lot of the information, a lot of this foundation from Genesis 17. Now, of all of the means of grace that are available to us, I think there's probably more confusion today in the area of the sacraments maybe than perhaps any other uh, means of grace that we have available to us. So much so that perhaps when one thinks about the means of grace, they might be quickly to say, well, that's prayer. Sure, it's prayer. That's Bible reading. Yes, that's Bible reading. That might even be fellowship. Yeah, fellowship's important. Uh, Prayer. uh, We might not find the sacraments even in the list. Uh, We've got to change that. We have to change that. We have to change that because the sacraments are God's gifts for building us up. And where will we be if we don't use the gifts that God's given us? For building building us up. If God thinks we need a gift for building us up, well, guess what? We need a gift for building us up. And He has given us these gifts. We've got to change this. That's why I'm doing this, because I want to be able to make use of all of the gifts the Lord has given us. I want you to be able to make use of all of the gifts that the Lord has given us. And we do that by searching the Word of God and praying for His blessing. And of course, in Genesis 17, the Lord introduces the sacrament of circumcision to Abraham and his household. And I want to point your attention back to the context. I spent a lot of time developing it a few weeks ago. Um, the, The Lord introduces the sacraments to Abram at a time when he's in a low place. It's at a time when he's in a low place. Now someone might ask, if you didn't hear that message, Someone might ask, well, why would you say Abram was at a low place? Well, we could give two reasons. One is Genesis 16. What's going on in Genesis 16? Well, many years have gone by, and you'll remember that God has promised Abram a son. And the son comes to Abram and Sarah when they're they're elderly and well past the age of of uh, bearing children. And many years have gone by since God gave that promise, and there's still no son. And in Genesis 16, Sarah, in her heart, she she believes, well, maybe the Lord's going to bless us this way. And she makes use of a custom that was popular in the culture at large. There's a lot of customs that are popular in the culture at large that aren't wise. And there was a custom in the culture in that day, when a woman was barren, if she was a woman of means and had servants at her disposal, would offer one of her servants to her husband. Her husband then would take that servant in marriage and serve children with that servant. And this is what, this is what Sarah does, offering her servant Hagar to Abraham. Abraham marries Hagar, and they have a child. And what we have here is purely a human attempt to fulfill a divine promise. And uh, this, you can take to the bank. This is a certain mark of spiritual decay. You can take that to the bank every time. It's a certain mark of spiritual decay in Abraham's time. It's a certain mark of spiritual decay in our own time. And it's something, that we, it's something that we do. I mean, we could think of all of the man-made inventions that we come up with in order to fulfill God's promises, like, say, the promise of the, of the Great Commission. Think of all of the man-made concoctions that we come up with. Instead of getting behind the gospel and just trusting in the gospel and proclaiming the simple gospel. No, you know, we could think of all kinds of inventions that we make up no we, we we need to entertain people into the heaven we need to entertain them into the kingdom of God. Uh, we come up with all these all these man made inventions you know and um listen i'm i'm you, can, you you'll be able to tell from this sermon pretty quick that I didn't write it with the eye of entertaining anyone. Um, this is not a stage by the way, up here. Let's get that out of our heads. This is, this, this is referred to so much by a stage. This is not a stage. The only reason it's here is so that you can see the speaker a little bit better and so that the Word of God is raised up. This actually is the first reason it's called a platform. A stage is a place where a show takes place. This is not a show. Now, conversely, I'm not, a, I'm not suggesting that we should bore people into the, heaven, into the heavens either. You know, let, let, let's not swerve the opposite of the road. Well, uh, this morning we turned to Genesis 17. I mean, no, if we're properly using the Bible, it won't be that way if you have a changed heart. If you don't have a changed heart, you're not going to be interested in this anyways. But if you've got a changed heart, you're going to want to hear this. You're going to want to know what it means. You're going to want to know what it's all about. And it's going to be exciting to you. Think of all of the man-made concoctions we have invented to bring discipleship to bear. I mean, we, we could sit around and talk about that for a long time. I don't want to get off Mark. We see Abraham and Sarah off the mark. Genesis 16 teaches us that because they're using their own hands to try to fulfill God's promises instead of trusting in his power to do so. A second reason that I would say that Abraham is in a low place is found in, if you turn, keep your place in in Romans 4, but turn to Genesis 17 with me. And if you look at verses 17 and 18, I brought this to your attention, I don't know, a week or two ago. I want to do it again. Some of you didn't hear it. Some of you weren't here. But in Genesis 17, the Lord appears to Abraham, and he tells him that his wife Sarah will be with child and how does Abraham react to that? Verse 17. How does he well well first of all Abraham laughs. He laughs. And in verse 17 he says shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old shall Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child? Some of your ladies are looking at me like your eyes got really big. I understand. But is this a problem for God? No. But notice what Abraham says in verse 18. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham is looking to Ishmael as the promised son. Ishmael is the product of his own hands. So here the context shows us that Abraham is at a very low point. And it's in the midst of this low point that the Lord comes to Abraham and introduces the sacraments to him. Now what does that suggest? What does that strongly suggest? What is that crying from the housetop? That the sacraments are meant to lift us up. It's one of the crucial things that we need to remember. It's a principle that we need to keep close to the heart. That the sacraments our means of grace. In other words, the sacraments are God-given ordinances that are designed to strengthen our weak faith. God-given ordinances designed to strengthen our faith. Now, how do the sacraments strengthen our weak faith? Well, they strengthen our weak faith by serving as signs and seals. We get that from Romans 4, don't we? signs and seals. Okay, what's a covenant sign? Well, it's something, as I said last week, it's something that points away from itself. It points away from itself to some spiritual blessing. Okay, in the case of circumcision, circumcision is a covenant sign. Is a covenant sign. It points away from itself. Its purpose is to seal, not only point to a blessing, but seal a blessing. okay. What does that mean? Well, a seal in this context is something that proves or confirms. And I think it's really helpful to think about ancient kings when, as I said last week, when they draft documents, when they would draft a document. How how would having drafted a document? How would they prove that this document really came from the king? Well, they would put a piece of wax on it, and every king had what was known as a signet ring on his hand, and on that ring was an impression. And it was a pression, It was an impression. It was a ring that only the king had. I think you could probably lose your head if you tried it to, if you tried to uh, copy that, that ring. Only the king had that ring. So when the king took his ring and pressed it into the wax seal, he would then notarize the document that he had just drafted so that the reader could see the document, see the impression, and say, this is from the king's hand. It has his impression on the bottom of it. It proved. It confirmed. Now, the question before us is twofold. What? Let's, ask, let's think about this from two vantage points. One, what is the spiritual blessing that circumcision is pointing to? Let's do that. We'll spend a little time with that. But then let's move from there and let's ask a second question. Um, how is that? to strengthen us today? Does that sound fairly simple enough? What spiritual blessings does circumcision point to and how would we use this to strengthen our faith today? We'll start with the first question. What spiritual blessings does circumcision point to? I think you're still in Genesis 17, right? If you look at verses 7 and 8, which we've looked at already in earlier messages, in verse 7 we read, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now, in these two verses, we do have a promise of land, don't we? The land of Canaan. We have the promise of land. that's a great promise. but I'm going to I would submit to you, there's even a greater promise in there than the promise of land. The Lord promises in these verses to be God to Abraham and to his offspring after him, and of course this implies that Abraham and his offspring after him would be God's people, doesn't it? So the central promise here could be expressed and is expressed by Leviticus 26.12, which we use as our Scripture memory verse this morning, namely, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. So what we have in view here, as the central purpose here, is covenant fellowship with God. Covenant fellowship with God. Um, The sacrament of circumcision is pointing away from itself to a spiritual blessing. The blessing of covenant fellowship with God. And that's by far the the greatest blessing, isn't it? It's the the Lord's promise to be Abraham's God and to make Abraham and his household God's people. In other words, what we have here is, and when I say covenant fellowship with God, why would I qualify the word fellowship with covenant fellowship? Why couldn't I just, why wouldn't I just say fellowship with God? Why say covenant fellowship with God? I say covenant fellowship with God because this fellowship rests on covenant promises. If God says to Abraham, I will be your God, and Abraham and God, and God has made a covenant to Abraham to that effect. Well, what can change that? What could possibly change that? So it's not just fellowship with God. What is, in essence, what is God doing? Let me put it another way. Let me put it a real simple way. God has come to Abraham to give Abraham himself. That's what he's doing. He's giving Abraham himself. Now, let's flesh this out a little bit. We're not going to see what's going on here. If we leave right now, we're not going to get this. We're not going to get it. Let's flesh it out a little bit. God is promising to make Abram and his household his people so that he can have covenant fellowship with them. Now, there's a problem here. Abraham and his household are sinners. They're sinners. Just like the rest of us, they're sinners. Now, what is going to have to be involved in bringing sinners into covenant fellowship with God? Well, the first thing you're going to need is a Savior. You're going to have to have a Savior. And God has promised a Savior. And I think sometimes we think of the patriarchs, we think of Abraham, we think of Moses, we think of some of these patriarchs as being in the dark on a lot of things. Now, of course, they didn't have all the light of the New Testament. But I would submit to you, they knew a lot more than we often give them credit for. Did Abraham, was he looking forward to a Savior? I would answer emphatically, yes. Why would I answer so emphatically, yes? Because of what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He's speaking to the Jews and he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. First thing he needs is a Savior. Abraham knew that. And he looked forward to a Savior. Secondly, the Savior is going to have to make atonement for the sins of those whom God is bringing into fellowship with him. I I I could put it another way. The sinners who are being brought into fellowship with God will have to be washed and cleansed of their sin. God's justice requires it and His presence requires it. Did Abraham understand that? Of course he understood that. He offered sacrifices to God. Why did he do that? Because he understood the need of atonement. He understood that. Thirdly, the now cleansed sinner needs to be fit for this fellowship. You know, this is something we always need to keep in mind because a lot of times you'll hear the gospel and you'll hear people talk about the gospel and they'll talk about salvation and they'll talk about their sin debt being paid and they stop there. One of the great truths about the gospel is our sin debt is paid on the cross when Jesus dies on our place. But our salvation doesn't stop there. The sinner has to be made fit for this fellowship. Our salvation doesn't stop simply by taking all of our sins away. Now, God has much more for us than that. No, He gives us a new heart. So now we have a new heart. So now our heart is conditioned. It's in a position now that it can have fellowship with God. And, of course, this points to regeneration. Undoubtedly, other things could be added here. We could talk about conversion, glorification, perseverance. We could go down the list. But let's just think of these three, because I think we can remember these three real easy. We're going to need a Savior, right? We're going to need atonement, right? We're going to need regeneration, right? Okay. With this in mind, let's think about the sign that God has given Abraham. Circumcision, it's a bloody sign. It's a bloody rite that involves the removal of flesh. And this points to the removal and cleansing of sin. It points to the washing of sin. And its bloodshed points to Jesus who sheds His precious blood on the cross. Sometimes you'll read literature will speak of Jesus' circumcision. And it's speaking of Jesus' cross work. It points to the work that Jesus did on the cross. And this points to a savior. And it points to the need of atonement, our first two categories. But it's it's not simply an external right. It's not just an external right. It's not just some, you'll hear people write about it and they'll speak of circumcision as if it's an external right that just pertained to ethnic Jews. That's not true. Paul makes this abundantly clear. He's our inspired commentator on this. He writes in Romans 2.28, you don't need to turn there, but just listen. Romans 2.28 and 29, Paul writes, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. You hear that? Circumcision is not merely outward and physical. A Jew is one inwardly, and Paul says circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit with a capital S, you see. Now, what is that pointing to? It's pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's pointing to regeneration, is what it's pointing to. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the the Spirit's work of regeneration. And this is how Paul can say, and look back again with me to Romans 4.11. This is how Paul can say that Abraham received the sign of circumcision, as a seal, there we have sign and seal. Circumcision is a sign and it's a seal. It's a sign that points away from itself to some spiritual blessing and confirms it. It's a sign and a seal of what? The righteousness that He had by faith. So circumcision was a sign of this. It was a seal of this. It points us away from itself. Namely, to the righteousness given to Abraham by faith. Okay. How does Abraham become righteous through through faith? Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord. The Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Where does this righteousness come from? It comes from the Savior who is to come. When when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, what, what took place at that moment in time? you've heard me speak about this many times the great exchange our sins they go to the cross right they go to jesus he takes the penalty for those but it doesn't stop there that perfect righteousness of christ jesus that perfect life that jesus lived the life that we were that we were were required to live that we couldn't live the life that he lived for us in our place the credit of that life gets credited to us there The record of that life gets credited to us is what I'm trying to say. That perfect record becomes ours as faith unites us to Him. You look in the mirror this afternoon. Go home this afternoon and look in the mirror. When we look in the mirror, we have a tendency to see all that's wrong. We have a tendency to see warts. But you want to know what God... If you're in in fellowship with God, Do you know what God sees when He looks at you? Perfection of Jesus. He doesn't see a single spot. Now, if that's boring, you've got a heart problem. I mean to tell you, you've got the heart problem, not me. If that's boring, you need repentance. Because what could be boring about that? We don't need a loud band going on behind that. We need to speak this clearly, as clearly as we can possibly speak it. Amen. Abraham is united. You know, we we have his faith uniting him to the promises. More specifically, his faith is uniting him to the son, the chief of these promises. Jesus is the chief of promises, but more specifically, faith is uniting him to Jesus. Faith is uniting Abraham to the Christ who is to come. And he's given a bloody sacrament that points to the blood that Jesus would shed, and through this union with Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ can be given to Abraham. So Abraham is united to the Christ who is to come. Does that sound? Does everybody got that? All right, with that in mind, let's... Take up our second question. How does this serve to strengthen our faith? How does all of this circumcision talk serve to strengthen our faith? Uh, I can answer it with one word, but it's probably a word that probably very maybe few of us are even expecting. I'll answer it with one word Baptism. Baptism. Say what? Baptism. I mean, I could add the Lord's Supper to that, but for the sake of this message this morning, uh, we're going to take that up on another occasion. It's too much for one morning. But baptism is a sign and seal that has been given to us by Christ, and it's meant to strengthen us in our weakness and in our frailty. That's what it's meant to do. How does that work? The same way circumcision worked in Abraham's life. Abraham is saved by faith looking forward to the Savior who is to come. He has a bloody right that's pointing to the blood that would be shed by Christ Jesus. Jesus fulfills that. You and I are saved by looking back to Jesus who has come. Our sign is not the bloody sign of circumcision. Our seal is not the bloody rite of circumcision. A bloody sacrament is inappropriate now that Christ has shed his blood. It's inappropriate. No, circumcision gives way to baptism. What is baptism? I've already said it's a covenant sign and seal, the covenant of grace. A covenant sign that points to a spiritual blessing. It's a covenant sign that points away from itself to a spiritual blessing. Washing. What spiritual blessings does it point to? Well, washing and cleansing of sin. It points to union with Christ. It points to regeneration. Regeneration. Now, with what we've just developed from circumcision, we might say, well, wait a second, that sounds really similar to circumcision, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely it does. Water baptism replaces circumcision. So when when you're struggling with your faith, when you're going through a time where your faith seems low, where temptation is getting the best of you, Or when, who knows what the situation can be. When you find yourself in your own, Genesis 16, how many of us look to our baptism? You see the problem? We're not making use of one of the powerful means that God has given us. To strengthen our faith, we don't have a tendency to think about our baptism, but our baptism is a powerful means of grace that we largely do not use. How do we think about our baptism? Well, one of the reasons I developed circumcision so slowly and carefully it wasn't to bore anybody, but it was to lay the foundation. See, we can think about our baptism the same way that Abraham would have thought about his circumcision. How does, the, how does circumcision strengthen Abraham's faith? Well, because it's a sign. A sign of what? A sign that God has come to Abraham and he has made Abraham his. What is your baptism? In today's climate, it could mean anything. But what should it mean? You're marked. You belong to God. Now, as I speak this way, let me first speak to a person who's in possession of saving faith, because everything I'm about to say implies, it's imperative that you have saving faith, or this doesn't imply. It doesn't apply. But if you have saving faith, and you're in covenant, you're in the covenant of grace, Your baptism, whenever it took place, your baptism is a sign and a seal that you're marked, that you're God's. It's a sign and a seal that you have been washed. It points away from itself. It doesn't operate magically by itself. It points away from itself. It is a sign. A stop sign doesn't make you stop Right? The sign points away from itself. And what does it point away from itself to do? It points away from itself to proclaim something to you. To proclaim something. What does it proclaim? It proclaims you are clean. You're clean. Oh, but I don't feel clean. I don't feel clean today. Look at your baptism. And forget about your feelings for a moment. What is your baptism? Your baptism is a sign that you're clean. I will wash you, and you shall be clean, says the Lord in Ezekiel. I will sprinkle you, and you shall be clean. You're clean. You're washed. What else? You might not feel like it today but you're actually in union with Christ. You've been brought into union with Christ. You're, you, the old has passed away and the new has come. Romans 6. We'll talk, Lord willing, we'll, do, we'll, we'll go into that next week and talk about baptism further. But do you see how this works? Baptism works the same way the Word of God works. What is the the gospel? As we open up our Bibles and we read the gospel, how does it work? Well, as the eye of faith looks to the promises of God, the eye of faith receives grace from the promises of God, and the eye of faith receives strength from the promises of God, right? How does our baptism work? Same way, same principle. Our baptism proclaims that we belong to God, that He is our God, that we are His people, that we have been washed, that we have been brought into union with Him, that we have been regenerated. You see how that works? Of course, it requires faith. Without faith, we're not united to God, are we? In the Old Testament, there were lots of people who were circumcised. Were all of them united to God in faith? No. They were all brought into covenant with God? Yes. Were they all all regenerate? No. And the same thing is true in the New Testament. People undergo this the sacraments of the New Testament. Without faith, there's no union. Without faith, none of these promises. But don't think for a second that the sign is null and void without faith. The sign is still working. It's just not proclaiming a positive blessing. It's proclaiming a negative curse. So your baptism actually can speak to you loudly in times of temptation, can it? Someone could be sitting and listening to all this and say, well, I was baptized years ago. I don't know about this faith stuff. Is that a sign for me? Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. It's a sign that if you have faith in Christ Jesus, that yes, those promises, you can take them to the bank because this is the seal. This is the seal. This is God's wax and signet ring at the bottom of the paper. That's what it is. You look at it. Is this from God? Yeah, there's the wax. There's the signet ring. It's God's ring. Do I have faith? If the answer is no, well, then you can be rest assured. The promise is still there. It's just a promise of judgment. You see how that works? God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. He will not ever, ever be mocked. It's not just a bare sign but it speaks of grace. Grace that is meant to be ours for the drinking, for the taking. Does that make sense? I pray that it does. Let me, let me conclude just by saying, just by thinking for a moment, back to Genesis 16, and Abram in his low point, and then from there going to Genesis 17. Notice how graciously the Lord comes alongside of Abraham. God says, no, Abraham, your your wife Sarah is going to have a child. And Abraham laughs. Does anyone hear God say, don't you laugh at me? No. No. God graciously gives to Abraham What he needs to be strengthened. And he does it in love, doesn't he? So graciously. That, 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 regardless of where we're at at this particular moment in time, that should be an impetus for us. That should be an encouragement for us to go to God. He may discipline us, he may be in the process of disciplining us, but even his discipline is love. His discipline is loving. He is such a gracious God. Heavenly Father, Oh Lord, as we attempt to grapple with these things in the midst of uh, all that we've heard and learned over the years about baptism, about circumcision, about the sacraments, Father, it can be so confusing for us. It can be so difficult for us. But Father, You know all these things. You know all this perfectly. And we pray, Father, that Lord, You would help us, help each of us, help myself, help us all to work our way through Your Word, praying for Your blessing, oh Lord. That, Father, we would come to the true understanding of how the sacraments, how the baptism, how the Lord's Supper, how the Passover, and how circumcision, how all of these things in their proper time strengthen the faith of those who are yours. Father, we do desire to have our faith strengthened. We do desire. And, Father, we more than recognize the need of having these means. Teach us, Father. Teach us in such a way that it would become second nature to us to appeal to our baptism when we're in times, O oh Father, that are low, When we're going through periods where we just don't feel like we're yours. Oh Father, we pray that you would press these things to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.